Jamal Collier, paint a picture for us. Take us to the moment you found out head coach Adrian Griffin was going to be fired by the Milwaukee Bucks. You know what, Clinton? Uh, the Bucks had lulled me to sleep. <laughs> They came off a pair of wins. They weren't really impressive over Detroit, but you know, things had kind of stabled after a rocky start to January. So I was chilling, man. I was I was at the gym actually when I saw the alert from Woj. We start our show with breaking news. The Milwaukee Bucks have fired head coach Adrian Griffin, according to our senior NBA insider, Adrian Wojnarowski. So why is this happening now, Woj? Yeah, I think this was an agonizing decision for this Milwaukee organization. They were very fond of Adrian Griffin. They gave him his first head coaching opportunity. As I texted some people immediately on the team uh, after that, uh, they were just as surprised as me at the time at the news when it came down. As you wrote, the Bucks GM, John Horst, the guy whose job it was to do the firing, had a dog, not just named Griff, but specifically named after Adrian Griffin. That's cold-blooded. The dog's 15 years old, man. Like John, John knew that, you know, eventually, eventually the end is coming. <laughs> In all seriousness, though, I think that this is something that the Bucks would not have done lightly. And if the alarm bells weren't ringing in a way that kind of made it hard to ignore. Yeah, but this team was 30 and 13. That is not your average clip for somebody who's on the block as a coach in the NBA. The thing, though, with the Bucks is that, yeah, the record was good, but anybody, when you watched it, you just, you could just tell something was off. And this is a team that's like trying to win four playoff series. You know, the bar is championship. And when they sat back and looked at it and asked themselves, can we win a championship with this guy as a coach? I don't think that was an automatic yes. I think the Bucks looked at this and said, would we rather do this something like this now, or is it gonna have to take a second round exit earlier than we expected, or a, you know another five game first round exit, and we'd be having the same conversation. With two transcendent stars on their roster, the Milwaukee Bucks came into this season with sky high expectations. And even though they've been near the top of the East all season long, by last week, tension with head coach Adrian Griffin had become untenable. So today, Jamal Collier takes us inside the Bucks organization to pinpoint the moment their first year head coach lost his grip on the locker room and gauges whether this team under new head coach Doc Rivers can right the ship. I'm Clinton Yates, kiddos. It's Wednesday, January 31st. This is ESPN Daily. Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot. 
taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. So, Jamal, the timeline of Adrian Griffin's firing probably begins before he even got the job in the first place, if we're being real. Let's walk through how we got here. Take us back to last spring when the Bucks season ended prematurely. What played out there? Man, so the Bucs the, have the best record in the NBA coming to the playoffs to the number one seed and really feel like they're set up for a run at least to the conference finals and a rematch with Boston. Then they draw the Heat as an eight seed. Giannis gets hurt, and they end up losing that first-round series in five games. And for those who don't remember, that game five and the way it ended, it's just a, a disaster. Over the top to Butler. Bud is uh, not calling timeouts uh, as the Heat are making runs. Jimmy is just torching them, and they're not making adjustments. Allen has it down the lane. You run out of time. The Bucks don't get off the shot. Giannis, you know, famously doesn't guard Jimmy at all, uh, basically for the entire series. And really, Giannis's post-game presser after that game five gets remembered because of that whole steps to success. The word was like, oh, it's not a failure. It's steps to success. There's no failure in sports. You know, there's good days, bad days. Some days, some days you are able to uh, be successful, some days you're not. You don't always win. One of the things that stood out to me, the biggest thing that stood out to me in that, that presser was Giannis had basically moved on from Bud. You know, he sort of drove the bus over Bud in a way uh, that was, you know, I think just different than the way he, he has sort of responded to his coach before. And really it's at that moment right there that it just kind of becomes untenable to bring Bud back. How did the Bucks end up choosing Adrian Griffin? One of the details from your story that really stood out to me was Milwaukee spoke to nearly 20 2-0 head coaches for their gig and invited eight of them back for a second round of interviews. That's a large number, at least to me, on the surface. How did this process get started before they got to Griff? Yeah, I think just that they, they really, uh, you know, to their credit, took that opportunity to try to sort of cast a, a wide-ranging search. I think that they like the idea of trying to find somebody with some new, fresh ideas. Uh, and, you know, one of the big things is they had some of their best players, their, their team leaders, Giannis, Chris Middleton, and Drew Holiday, you know, basically sit in for an interview for a round of questioning with those kind of you know, finalist, finalist candidates, that being, uh, would end up being Griffin, Nick Nurse, and Kenny Atkinson, uh, the former Nets coach. So, you know, I think, you know, having the input from their players and especially from Giannis definitely sort of played a role in ultimately the reason that they decided to choose Griffin. Did those three players sit in or conduct their own interviews? And exactly how common is that? I mean, I feel like most people think, okay, obviously the star player has some input, but to hear that there was a formal part of the process that involved rostered players was a little bit surprising. 
Yeah, it, it was surprising to, to me at the time. It was surprising to Griffin. I mean, he, he had kind of mentioned it, and Adrian had been an assistant coach for, I believe, about like 15 or 16 years and had, had done a few rounds of uh, for interviews for jobs that he ultimately didn't get. But he said he had never done anything like that throughout his interviewing process and throughout his career. Um, so it was an unusual move. You got to also remember the timing of this. This was before Giannis had signed his extension, flirting with uh, the idea of leaving and potentially not spending his whole career in Milwaukee if they weren't going to win. So I do think this was a time period and a time frame for the organization where, you know, the interest of Giannis and his future was really right at the top. Well, how much influence do you think that had overall on the process, if that was the case? You know, I mean, I, I just think it's natural, right? Like, you know, everybody involved has sort of sort of pointed out, like, of course, you would ask somebody as important as Giannis to the organization what he thinks. And Giannis is the kind of guy who, you know, he's always talked for as long as I've been around him and really throughout his whole career is like he does not want to be the decision maker. You know, and I truly believe you know, somewhere in his heart, like that is true. Like he does not want to feel like he's making that decision. But if you ask him, he's going to give you an opinion, an honest opinion and, and an informed opinion. Uh, so I do think, again, this is an organization that if they even get a whiff of something is amiss with Giannis, I think that they are not afraid to, to sort of shake things up or to, to make sure uh, that those needs are being met. Once we got closer to the start of the season, the Bucks made a huge move. They sent Drew Holiday to Portland in exchange for Damian Lillard. It was the biggest transaction of the offseason, if you ask a lot of people. This was swapping out a great defender and swapping in an all-time scorer mall, something that had been an Achilles heel at times for the Bucs. How did the sudden roster change affect things for Griff? So to me, this is the big one. And the Bucs were always going to be a championship contender. Griffin knew he was coming to a team that was expected to win. Uh, but, you know, I think there's a big difference of, again, trying to provide some tweaks to something that had been working really well. So all of a sudden, you got two of the best players of all time, like two top 75 dudes, two players who still can impact the game in a high level. And you all of a sudden have to sort of create an offense for those two players. You have to imagine an offense for those two players. And you lost your best perimeter defender. and You've got to find a way to take advantage of, of and create a competent defense. Uh, and that was the big thing that I think people, the, uh, the Bucks side of it, and uh, repeated immediately after Griffin's dismissal is that the job changed and that they stood by the fact that they hired Griffin for a different job in the summer compared to the one that it ended up being this season. But uh, there's no question that not only did it change sort of tactically what he had to do, but now expectations are, you know, just through the roof already with a team that's got pressure to win and the learning curve all of a sudden was just gone. You know, you said the big one was the trade for obvious reasons in terms of rosters, but I think for outsiders looking in, when Terry Stotts walked away from this team, that was a massive red flag. How do you think that affected the team? And what do we know about how and why that happened? What's crazy, man, is that we still like don't know a whole lot of details. And even, you know, in the past week or so, when you sort of try to mention or, or try to get more details of why why was it Terry Stotts? sort of like a harbinger of all the things, you know, of where we are today. Um, they had an argument uh, in a shoot around, a disagreement. And um, it's just kind of unclear of why that was a point for stocks that he felt like they could not come back from. 
But there's no question that that is the first sort of screaming red flag. And I think just basically a straight line you can draw from that moment, you know, right before the season starts. I mean, you just never, ever see anything like that. Uh, where basically he says, nah, man, I'm good on this. I don't even want to start out on the road on this. Let's move forward to the regular season. How did the start of the year go for Griffin, the Bucks once they actually put the balls on the floor? So almost immediately there's issues. Uh, you know, they win that first game. Dame, you know, thinks, you know, has the most points in a Bucks debut. They beat the Sixers in, in a thrilling opener. And it's really like, you know, the vibes are great for like a day. Uh, because they end up playing the Hawks uh, that weekend. The Hawks just blitzed them. I mean, they couldn't stop anybody. And it was the first sign. I remember I wrote about this and I told this story about Giannis in the locker room after that game, really just like working out his frustrations. Uh, he was up at a whiteboard uh, up, up in the locker room, and he's like with an assistant coach, just really like diagramming the spacing on the floor in real time and like, you know, Bobby Portis and guys are coming out of the shower. He's like grabbing them over and like <laughs> working this thing out with them. And it was just like this, you know, another sign of like, wait a minute here, something is off. And, you know, you did fast forward a couple of days later, their defense really got out to a really bad start the first four or five games of the season. Um, and I thought one of the, you know, probably biggest turning points and moments of the year is right before the fifth game of the season, some of the leaders on the team convinced Griff that we need to keep Brooke to basically abandon this, the scheme that Griff had been putting in all training camp and wanted to install, had used in Toronto, and say, we got to keep Brook Lopez at the rim. A logical move. But Griff agrees. And on one hand, you're happy, like you want the coach to listen to your players, but uh, there's something about it that just kind of felt like he folded. And folded really without any pushback, any fight, any real conviction in what the strategy that he was trying to, I mean, again, it's five games into the season. I think the feeling from that moment on was who's really in charge here. And it just never felt like he was able to really have a true voice on the locker room or command on the locker room after that moment. Let's speak to this feeling of, yeah, we're winning, but we got problems. The Bucs did advance to the semis of the in-season tournament, whatever you want to take from that. But they lost there to Tyrese Halliburton and the Pacers, who looked like they were on a mission. On the Bucs side, there were tons of reports of tensions behind the scenes in the wake of that. What do you know about how that particular night played out? I think there's no question that after the in-season tournament and really leading up to that, players wanted to be coached better, wanted to be coached harder, um, and really wanted, you know, the thing about defensively especially it was identity and they really never knew what their identity was. And I think that, you know, that was a frustrating loss for them. Again, these guys are all competitors. So once you got there to the in-season tournament and you're in Vegas, like they wanted to win and they thought they should have won and they thought that they should have, you know, they weren't happy to lose to the Pacers. I remember they came back the next home game from that, and there was just a real sense of, like, we got to get this next game. We got to get this next game from everybody. And you just could tell they had taken that loss very personally and that they were very unsettled and not happy with the way things had gone in Vegas. It's one thing to butt heads with the rookie coach as a veteran, as a champion. It's another thing to say, that guy's not going to be here for much longer. When did it become clear to you that Griffin's days were numbered? That's a good question. I haven't been able to figure out, I think, like, when, it, when was the exact moment for me that I, I, it was clear that this was not going to work. I mean, it's, it's, it's really as early as that Knicks game. You know, 
once again, his authority was sort of just pushed back on in that way. Uh, he was, it was never really able to regrasp it. You know, there was several instances right after that where, you know, they'd be in huddles and, you know, Griff would be drawing up a play for Dame. I remember one end of the game, you're drawing up a play for Dame and, and Giannis sort of says, no, actually, I think we should go to Chris on this play. There were so many small moments that when you, you looked at it individually, it might not seem like much, but I think when you combine all these things together, you know, Giannis got checked out of a game at the end of a game in Boston and then checked himself right back into the game, basically, and did, didn't, didn't want to go sit down. There were so many small instances where, again, you just start to question who's really in charge here and what kind of authority does he have that, you know, really as early as, as November, December, you start to say, man, this doesn't seem like it's a sustainable situation. And as I said, the organization, when they even get a whiff of Giannis being unhappy, they act. I mean, you look at the Drew Holiday trade, look at the Dame trade, look at this move they are know the opportunity they have and because of Giannis on the floor uh and if Giannis was sort of openly letting it known that the play was not up to standard I just think that it was something the organization could not ignore coming up Doc Rivers made his coaching debut with the Bucks and he's preaching something we've heard before Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. The NFL schedule drops this week, kiddos, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Jamal, after they dismissed Griffin, the Bucks moved very quickly to hire Doc Rivers, who himself was let go from the Sixers after another disappointing playoff exit last spring. Why do you think the Bucks went with Doc? It's a great question, Clinton. Uh, I think certainly... Just look at sort of the landscape right now and the coaches that are available. Doc is the biggest name. He's got the most experience. He's got experience coaching stars. And they really value that, you know, that part of it, that Doc is a guy who's going to come in and really have a voice and respect of the locker room immediately. I think even from being around them a couple of days, I think that that's just sort of no question about it. Uh, the players all have a respect about for him, respect for the things that he's done. Um, and they are sort of eager to learn and listen to a guy uh, who's been around the league and done so many things around the league for so long. There were reports that Doc had been a part of the team in some sort of a consultant role because they didn't necessarily trust Griffin with the leadership part of this. 
being involved behind the scenes, is that something Doc was paid for? How exactly did that arrangement work to your understanding? Clinton, it sounds like you are accusing Doc of dirty backing. <laughs> and, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. And listen, I asked Doc, it sounds like you're being accused of dirty backing. How do you explain this? <laughs> In so many words. And, uh, you know, again, he pushed back. He was not being paid for it. Okay. Uh, I, I just think that Doc's call, you know, he mentioned it being so bored a lot of times and he's a coaching lifer right yeah uh he's a guy who you know i think just called a, a lot of young calls a lot of coaches in general but young coaches especially griffin was a young black coach and i think that you know the organization sort of maybe helped urge it but i think it's something that doc even naturally from knowing griffin from across the sidelines i mean i think that was the one thing that the bucks and i think a big question for him is like how much support did they give adrian trying to find you know, ways and solutions to help Adrian grow through the process. Uh, so I don't think that there was anything, you know, uh, foul foul going on from Doc with this. I don't think he had any ill intent from their initial conversations with Adrian. You know, Doc has maintained it even after firing that he, after the firing that he's talked to Adrian Griffin uh, in the days after and that they remain friends. The team played three games before Doc officially arrived. They won two of those. Then Doc made his debut on Monday. The Bucks lost 113 to 107 at Denver. No shame in falling to the defending champs on the road. And to be honest, it was one of Milwaukee's better defensive efforts since the calendar year started. In the early days, what are you seeing and what are you hearing and what have you observed in general from the interior about what things are like under Doc so far? So I think that there's no question when you look at the defensive effort of these past few games. And they got to sustain it. They got to keep it going. But there's just no doubt. A couple of games under Joe Prunty, the interim coach before Doc, and this first game under Doc, they have just played with like a renewed effort on defense. And Giannis had a very interesting comment after that game in Denver where he, he said, basically, there's times where we don't agree with the game plan. It doesn't feel like our effort is there. And these were all just very telling things. And I think that the very the one thing I'll say about hiring Doc is if nothing else, uh, the players respect him. They yeah. give him sort of a level of uh, they have a level of confidence in him that is going to keep them, you know, from falling and bottoming out and having such, you know, 40 point losses to the Cavs or some of those really, you know, more embarrassing losses than they have. So I think the respect has been there right from jump uh, on Doc and, and you've seen it translate so far to a just kind of renewed intensity and effort on defense. You say the playoff record is what it is. We talk about the defensive struggles. How does Doc's presence change those struggles and how much of an upgrade are we really actually talking about if we are going to admit the 3-1 leads, et cetera, et cetera, about Mr. Rivers and how he's led teams when it comes down to the tournament? It's going to be the big question for the rest of the season. Um, and it's something that I, I'm, I'm very curious to see what things change right away, what things take time you know, for Doc, just in general, on both sides of the ball, because this team does have, for all the, the talk about effort and on, on the defensive end, they also have just kind of like a personnel problem. I mean, they don't have Drew Holiday anymore. Dame, Lillard, Malik Beasley is their starting backcourt. It's not a backcourt. You don't have any lockdown defenders in that backcourt. So I, I think the biggest thing for, for Doc is, and the players have sort of asked for this, is just to have a, a, an identity on that end. I think Doc will, at least for better or for worse, say, this is our thing. We're going to do this. We're going to be good at this. And we're going to try to force teams into taking these shots. Uh, 
um but you know there's certainly certainly no question man that that there's ultimately questions about where doc you know how much can he help and where can he take this team but i think the biggest thing for the bucks right now is, is what i said earlier is he's just a, a floor raiser You're in the room. I saw the presser Monday night. It looked casual enough. Didn't feel like it was super tense, but Horst said the clock is always ticking when you have Giannis. These are hard windows to come by. These are special opportunities. We think we have a special group. We believe in this team at a high level and ownership and myself and Peter, we've continued to be bold and to be aggressive in trying to figure out how to maximize these chances that we have. And that's what we're doing here. And Doc immediately walked in and said, it's going to take time. You're going to need to be patient. It's going to take a minute. Um, I mean, I, I bet I've watched our offense 50 times over the last two days, yet you're still just going to take time to have the right rhythm, to make the right calls. Something's got to give there, Maul. <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny that, you know, Doc also walked in the door with a job he just took and, and said, you know, I wouldn't wish the job on anybody. <laughs> <laughs> There's no question, man, that, that, that there's there's no time to waste. They got 35 games before the season, the regular season is over. Uh, and this year in the playoffs, you don't make a move to fire your coach midseason if you don't think you're trying to get results right away this year. Uh, so I think the doc was is going to try to downplay it and slow pay expectations at least right away. Uh, but I think that in a month or two, like it's, it's going to be time to take a step back and say what kind of changes or impact has doc been able to make Last thing I'll ask you, after how all of this has played out, do you think the Bucks, front office, players, fans, whomever, regret letting Mike Budenholzer go last spring? I don't. I do think that that situation had just come to a head. Uh, and, you know, again, coaches have a shelf life. Like there's, a, there's a certain amount of time where listening to that voice uh, just, it, begets, it gets old. And I think when you consider, you know, all the noise around Budenholzer, I think that the Bucks for sure had to make a move at that point. And I think that the team would still feel like they had to make a move to get a new voice in there. And, and again, the organization continues to deny that they have any regrets about how the process went over this summer. But if there's any regrets, I think it's everything that happened after Mike Budenholzer, especially when you consider the, the job that Nick Nurse is doing at Philly right now. Um, that's where... I think they have to sort of take a step back and say, did we make the right call here? Thank you, Jamal. Thanks, man. I'm Clinton Yates. This has been ESPN Daily. We'll talk to you tomorrow, kiddos.